All right, are you ready to stand with me? Let's read from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and 10, like a thief in the night, as we're going to be studying together. It's an interesting passage out of 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9, 10, and 11. I'm going to read it out loud, and uh, you follow along with me if you can. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid to bare. Father, I pray that as we stand in honor of your word, that you would open our hearts to be able to understand and comprehend through understanding as to how these truths might apply to our lives today so that we might leave this place better equipped to being prepared for the day in which your son Jesus Christ our Savior will return what a glorious day that will be when he returns for those of us who know him and have placed our faith and trust in him but what a disappointing day it will be for those who have not invested in the eternal aspects of their soul and they've not placed their faith and trust in Christ so I pray, God, that whatever, wherever we are today, that you would help us be prepared for that glorious day when your son returns so that we can receive him and inherit the wonderful promise of heaven. Thank you for being a part of our time together. So, Spirit of God, I pray that you would move among us freely, penetrate the darkness, open us with understanding, and equip us to leave this place strengthened today and encouraged by your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Uh, we were talking earlier back there with Mike, uh, who's on our sound, and, uh, and we were talking about how criminals do dumb things. There ought to be something like that. There are all kinds of shows on there about people who do dumb things. I don't know if you're one of those who watch those or not. I know you do. Privately, you do. You might not want to admit it in public. But uh, I, I did a little Google search on, uh, on the internet and uh, just typed in dumb things criminals do. And this is, these are some stories that I got. Now, let me just read a few of them for you. Investigating a purse snatching in Brunswick, Georgia. Detectives picked up a man who fit the thieves description and drove him back to the scene. He was told to exit the car and face the victim for an ID check. The suspect dutifully eyed the victim and blurted out, yeah, that's the woman I robbed. <laughs> In Nashville, they tell of Fred Jr. Williams, the burglar who fell asleep on the sofa of the home he was robbing, only to be awakened by the police. In Tubido, Louisiana, I hope nobody's from there today, a robber with a thick Cajun accent, go figure that, couldn't get the restaurant patrons to understand his demand for money. Frustrated, he whipped out his gun, but it wouldn't fire. Grabbing the cash register, he ran, but only to discover he only was able to escape three feet before falling down. You see, the register was still plugged into the wall. Unplugging it, though, he tried again to escape, but a diner decked him, and they called the police. In Rhode Island, cops were sure they had the right guy when the suspect in the string of coin machine thefts paid his $400 bail entirely with quarters. <laughs> Talk about dumb. 
Texas authorities responding to a store robbery seized a man who was fleeing naked. He said he had stripped after his job as burglary because he, he figured out that his clothes would make him detectable by the police. Wow. In Lawrence, Kansas, just so that no one feels discriminated here, we do have dumb criminals in Kansas, but they're all in Lawrence. Hope nobody's here from Lawrence either. Officers tracked a midnight thief who prided himself on his running speed by following the red lights on his high-tech tennis shoes. He had those little red lights on him. Never mind, I'm going to have to explain it to you. That's not worth it. Finally, in Virginia, a janitor went to great lengths to avoid his ID from being detected in a 7-Eleven robbery, using a ski mask and a rental car for the occasion. But he also wore his work uniform, which said Cedarwood's Apartments, and it had his name stitched across the front, Dwayne. You know, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is going to return like a thief in the night. And if you've ever been robbed, you know a little bit about what that means. And I hope you've never had that experience. But there's no violation, I think, that, that anybody could ever experience than someone coming home and discovered that they've been robbed. And we go to great lengths to try to avoid being robbed. As many of us have uh, those alarm systems. Most of us in here, unless we're really, really of another generation, always lock our doors before we go to bed. And if you don't, you should. I remember when I was a kid and I came home from Brazil and uh, I had been overseas with my parents as missionaries for five years. I went over there when I was eight. I came back when I was 13 and my grandpa had us sleep because they had only a two bedroom house. There were my parents and three of us and grandpa and grandma. They had us sleep in the living room and my bed was close or just nudged up against a window that my grandpa had opened and I had a hard time sleeping that night because I could have never imagined anyone sleeping next to an open window during the evening. You would never do that in Brazil. We had bars on our windows to prevent thieves from coming in. And I remember being scared to death as a small child, well, 13, next to that open window thinking somebody's going to come in here and they're going to get me. I don't know what they would do with me, but they were going to get me. And I, I just had that in my head. I think some of us go to great lengths to protect ourselves from thieves. And it's interesting in this passage where Jesus describes himself as someone coming like a thief in the night. Because thieves normally do not want to be detected. When they rob you, they do everything they can to avoid detection. They don't want you to know they're there until after they have been there. Then it's all right for you to discover when they've been there or not. But Jesus doesn't want us to be unaware of his return. He doesn't want to avoid detection. He wants us to know when he returns. But more importantly than that, he wants us to be prepared for his return. And for those of us who are prepared for his return, we should not receive him upon that return as someone unaware, as someone who has been caught off guard, as if his return was completely unsuspecting. He wants us to prepare. He wants us to be ready. And in this passage that we find in the second letter of Simon Peter to the church that he's addressing, he is wanting us and he's encouraging us to be prepared. And he says to us, I don't want you to live for the dot. I want you to live for the bottom line. 
In other words, throughout this whole series on greater things, he's saying to us, I don't want you to live your life only for this present life, but I want you to live it in such a way that you are preparing for eternity, not only yourself, but your family and your loved ones. And so we are to sow seeds. We are to sow in anticipation of living our lives, not just for the here and now, but to live our lives for eternity. And in order to do that, I think we must be ready for the return of Christ. So how do we then get ready for the return of Christ? How do we get ready for his return? Three things. I must be real, I must be ready, and I must be reliable. Those are three things. Ready, real, and reliable. I feel like I'm on Wednesday night giving the answers already in case choir's about to start. Because about halfway through my message on Wednesday night, the choir gets up and leaves, and that leaves, and that's about half of my congregation. But anyway... To be ready, to be real, to be ready, and to be reliable. Let's talk and let's look at the first aspect about the return of Christ, to be real. It's important that we must be real. Now, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures this morning very quickly. So buckle up your seatbelts and here we go. Verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 3. Simon Peter writes, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both to them, both of them as reminders to stimulate, stimulate you to wholesome thinking. He wants us to think wholesomely, to think correctly, to think wisely, to think rightly. So how must we then be ready? Notice what he says in verse 2. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. He says to us, he wants us to be confident in the word of God. The word of God gives us and instills confidence in us in regard to the return of Christ. He already in his first letter, now his second letter, is admonishing the believers to consider what the Holy Spirit is speaking through his penmanship as he is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what he is writing through inspiration of the Holy Spirit has also been inspired by the same Holy Spirit through the penmanship of the ancient scriptures, including the prophets. He's writing in conjunction, in, in, in sync with the Old Testament prophets and also with the words of Christ. For Christ himself on numerous occasions talked about his Return. He talked about the impending judgment that would take place when he returned. So his words and the prophets and the words of Christ are somewhat a systematic consistency that are inspired for the believer to put confidence in the word of God. You can put confidence in the fact that Jesus claimed, the prophets have claimed, and now he is claiming, Simon Peter, that Christ is going to return. And we can put confidence in the word that God is going to fulfill the promises of his word, which take us now to verse 3. First of all, he said, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming promised? Ever since your fa our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. He's saying that at the end times, there will be scoffers, and you and I must reject then the critics that will scoff at the ways of God. They will laugh at God's word and God's ways. They will scoff. A scoffer is someone who simply ridicules the fact that Jesus Christ, who claimed to be God and who claimed that he would return, is simply not returning. So they're ridiculing not only the fact that he's going to return, but they're ridiculing those who believe that he's going to return. They're scoffers. And the reason they're scoffing is because they're sinners. Notice that they are then sinners. It talks about them. It says they are following their own evil desires. This is what I would call people that are living out 
totally the life of the flesh. They are following the lusts of their hearts. They are living what we call today the hedonistic lifestyle, where they are simply doing everything they can to to gratify their carnal pleasures without any consequence of their sin and of their choices. And notice what they're saying. They're saying here, where is the coming of the promise? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it is since the beginning of creation. They are trying to use this historical evidence in their favor. They're twisting the historical evidence, saying, from the very foundation of our faith, we have been hearing that Christ is going to return, and he has, in fact, not returned. People have come. They have believed in it. They placed their faith and trust in Christ. They have died, and now another generation has come and gone. Another generation has come and gone. Another generation of believers have come and gone, and Christ is still not coming. What more proof do we need? And notice then what he says in verse 5. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out by water and by, by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. These ungodly men are failing to recognize the consequences of the wrath of God. They're ignorant people. And in their ignorance, notice he says, first of all, they are totally ignorant of God's word. In Genesis 1-1, as we take a look at, at the whole creation in Genesis 1, how was the earth formed? It was, it was, there was nothing. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that simply by the word of God, what happened? The earth was formed, and the waters divided, and the, 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 the earth gave up land. It's all by simply God's word. And what he's stating here is that same word that God spoke to form creation will one day speak and destroy that which he created. And he talks about the first judgment in this text. Anybody seen the movie Noah? Anybody? It's supposed to be like one of the number one movies out there. Anybody started seeing it and walk out of it? (laughs) I've heard people have done that as well. I have not yet seen it. Um... Patty's just one of those guy things that she's not really interested in. Russell Crowe, how can you go bad with him? But I am told that the guy who wrote it was basically an agnostic, if not an atheist, just took the story and made something out of it. It's not very biblical, but uh, then neither was the Son of God that I watched a couple of weeks ago. It was totally out of context and totally out of the order. The only movie that I watched lately that's worth watching that's sort of designed and targeted for Christians is um, uh, God is not dead. See, you knew what I'm talking about. And, uh, but he's talking here about the first judgment. What happened during the day of Noah? God promised that judgment would come. And they laughed. They mocked. They scoffed. They ridiculed Noah. Water falling down from the sky. You're an idiot, man. Eat, drink, and be merry. Live the hedonist lifestyle. There's no consequences. There is no judgment. And what happened? Judgment came. Judgment fell, and the only ones who were saved were Noah and his family because they were the only ones that were considered righteous, correct? But God promised Noah to do what? No longer to destroy the earth again in judgment by water, but he did promise that in the second judgment, he would destroy that which he created by fire. 
And what he's saying here is there are these ignorant people who are claiming that Christ said he would return and there would be a judgment that would end all judgments and all life as you know it and all of this creation would cease to exist. <laughs> Forget it, man. It's not happening. You're crazy if you believe that. Why, you're just foolish. You're robbing yourself of some fun and some pleasure and from the hedonistic culture and the background, the life that we live today. But those of us who are believers know better. We know that there are consequences of that kind of lifestyle. And so we need to be careful that we are, we are not, not mocking that, but that we are real, authentic Christ followers in our faith because it's those of us who are real, who have placed our faith and trust in Christ, and we have a real salvation placed upon a real savior through a a real message called the gospel and that and that alone it's it's what's going to save us from the coming judgment seat of Christ the only thing that can save you and me and us from this judgment by fire is faith and trust in Christ and there are a lot of people we know that are not basically real in their faith the Bible says that when judgment takes place, God's going to have some, Christ's going to have some there. And they say, but what, wait a minute, what about when I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that? He's going to look at you and he say, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, they were very active in their faith and they were very active in the church and they were very active in doing good things for people. And yet they never had a real authentic faith and trust in Christ. It's important that if we're going to get ready for the return of Christ and the judgment that's about to take place, that we understand that we must have a real faith and trust in Jesus. Three Sundays ago in the back, we had a guy named Troy who came. And uh, he'd been attending church here for a while, bringing his daughter, very troubled young man. And um, he came up to me as I was talking to people on the way out, and he said, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And I looked over, and I thought, this guy wants some money. (laughs) And normally I send them to Gail, <laughs> uh, not because I don't want to talk to them, because they don't want to stand there waiting for me. And, and Gail knows everybody here. I mean, he's, he, he grew up in the nursery here. I mean, he knows everybody in the community. And if, if Gail doesn't know them, then they're probably pretty legit. But um, uh, long story short, he said, I'm going to go get somebody to take my daughter home and I'll be right back. I thought he's not coming back, but he came back. And he waited the entire time. And I walked over here in the back, and I began talking to him, and Donnie came. And Donnie and I began to talk to him for some unknown reason. After the time began to go by, we came down to the altar here, and we stood right here. He was a troubled young man. And and I looked at him, and I said, would you like to receive Christ into your life? And would you like for him to cleanse you of your sin as you place your faith and trust in him? I kid you not. The minute I said that, he went, just like that. Now, I'm not charismatic i'm semi-bapticostal and what that said to me there's something going on in this man's spirit that's not normal it's supernatural and he said yes i want to do that and he prayed the prayer and we talked about his faith as he walked out and when he prayed that prayer though everything changed about his countenance everything and the surprising end of this story is that last sunday morning at seven o'clock He was run over by a train trying to get home, and he died. I did his funeral Friday morning at 11 o'clock and spoke to a large group of people that I'm convinced don't know Jesus as their real personal Savior and Lord. 
And so I wonder about God's timing sometimes. But I'm convinced that man had a real faith because he left here and he went home and he claimed that he had, gotten, he had been saved that day and he was beaten up for his faith, actually, for claiming to be saved. Not only was he beaten up for his decision to trust Christ and to follow Jesus, we know that he went down to the city and tried to get some help with his drug addiction and some issues that he had. And uh, so we know that there's, there was a transformation that was taking place in his heart and in his soul. He just didn't have time to live it out until all of a sudden God took his life. And yet there was a testimony on that day last Friday about a young man who put his faith and trust in Jesus. And I'm convinced that today he's with the Lord in heaven. And one day his, his soul will unite with his body on resurrection day when Christ does return. And I'll see him again. And if you know Christ, you'll see him again. So we need to make sure that our faith is real. It's not just something we say, but there's a life transformation that takes place. And we are saved not based upon our own righteousness, but we're saved on the righteousness of Jesus. For as we saw last week in 2 Corinthians... The Apostle Paul said that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. You see, the only way that you can stand right with him and real with him is to have placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. And if you have never had a new birth experience, you need to. That's the first step, to be real, to be authentic, to be genuinely saved. But once we're saved, what's the second step? We need to be ready. Notice what it says in the passage we read. It says in verse 8, but I do not forget this one thing. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Wow. Isn't that incredible? A thousand years is like a day to the Lord. What he's saying is we're, we're to be ready. We need to adjust to God's perspective because a lot of times our perspective and God's timetable are not the same. God has an entirely different timetable than we do, and our perspective is, God, you're waiting too long. What's, what's the delay? Why are you taking so long? I've been, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and what he's saying here is what seems like for us an eternity for God is really nothing because his timetable and our timetable are not ever the same. He sees the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. And his timing is always right, and it's always perfect. And so he says we need to, as we're getting ready, adjust for his timetable. And we need to understand that God has then a right perspective. Notice it says in verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As we wait, we need to affirm the promises of God. God has given us some promises, not only through Simon Peter, not only through Matthew, not only through Mark, not only through all of the other passages of Scripture and the words of Jesus and the Old Testament prophets, but he's given us these beautiful promises. And we, as we wait, as we get ready for the return, we go to the Word and we underline those promises and we stand on them because we know that God always is a God who keeps his promises. Notice the second aspect of that sentence, and some understand slowness, but notice he is patient with you. He's patient with you. You mean say that again? He's patient with you. Aren't you glad? Come on, you know yourself better than anybody. Aren't you glad he's patient with you? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad he's patient with me. 
because I know he's been patient with you. I'm running out of patience with you. I can't tell you how many marriages I've had in 30 plus years of pastoring and seeing couples, young couples. I'm out, I'm out of patience, really. Aren't you glad God never said that about you? He'll never change. Probably not, right, guys? Amen, guys? Yeah, you're in trouble already. He is patient with you. Why is he patient? Notice the purpose for that patience. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why is he patient? (laughs) He's waiting for everyone. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. God has chosen people that he's wanting to call unto himself. And until everyone that he has chosen receives and hears the call and places their faith and trust in him, he's not going to return because there are still people that he intends to save. And as long as there are people that he intends to save, his return will not happen. Maybe he's waiting on you to respond to the call that God has placed upon your life for him to come back. You know, there's one person, I heard a guy say this one time, there's that one person, that one person, think about it, that one person that God has chosen and God has called him, that one, that final person, that the moment they place their faith and trust in him, boom, it happens. There's one person that God's calling. And that one person, when he or she receives Christ, Christ is going to return. I wonder who that last person is. I'm going to get to heaven and say, why didn't you do it sooner, dadgummit? You know what I'm saying? But notice the plan that God has in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. He's saying the plan is sure. You can be sure that Christ is going to return. Not only should we be sure, but it's going to be sudden. It's going to come like a thief in the night. You're going to come. He's going to come when, when, it, when we least expect him. When we least expect him. You may be leaving today and on your way to lunch and having your plan to have lunch, and all of a sudden Christ is going to return, and you're not going to have lunch. And to which I say, oh. He could come while you're laying your head on your pillow tonight, about to catch some Z's and get some rest after a long day. He could come on your way to work Monday morning, and many of you say, amen. Praise God. He's going to come. It's going to be sure it's sudden, and notice it's a significant return because when he comes, nothing is unimpacted by his return. Everything changes. Time as we know it comes to an end, and everything stops. And it's going to be that significant. And there's not a single person on the planet that will not know Christ returned. Hooray! Like a friend of mine, Ray, used to say, oops, I should have been ready, and I'm not. So we need to be ready. I wonder if you're ready. When the process of getting ready, we need to be reliable. Let's look at the text again, be reliable. Verse 11, how are we to be reliable? Notice he says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, judgment will come. What kind of people ought you to be? 
Those of us who are real, those of us who are ready, how do we wait in the meantime? Notice what he says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. There's a war going on, and we must engage in that war against the lusts of the flesh and, and the world that is carnal and, 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 and all of that that would pollute us and cause us to be impure and cause us to live in sin. Don't, don't use your faith as a license to sin because Paul said, should we go on sinning so that grace can abound? By no means, he said. Not only should we war against impurities, but we should wait with expectation, excitement, and enthusiasm. Notice what it says in verse 12. And you, notice what it says, look forward to the day of God. Look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Did you know you could speed its coming? How can you speed up its coming? By joining God in the process of redeeming a lost humanity. And as we join the activity of God and we become actively involved in the redemption of a lost humanity and we allow God to use us as his instruments, as his vessels to redeem a lost humanity, we might help save or lead that last person to faith in Christ. Who knows, maybe one of us in this room right here might have an opportunity to witness on Monday morning, and while we're witnessing to someone on Monday morning and they pray to receive Christ, that was the one that he was waiting for, for Christ to return. And every person you lead to faith in Christ expedites, it speeds up the return of Christ because we saw earlier in this text that why is he delaying? Because there's still a, a lost humanity out there. There's still men and women and boys and girls that he wants to redeem unto himself until that last person prays that last prayer to place their faith and trust in Christ. He's not going to return. And so when we join him, we speed up the process. Notice it says that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his response, we are looking forward. Notice what we're looking forward to. Now, if you're not saved, you're not looking forward to Christ's return because there's going to be judgment and fire. But those of us who are saved, but in keeping with this, his promise, notice we are looking forward to what? A new heaven and a new earth. The home of the righteous. Remember, our righteousness is not ours. Our righteousness is in Christ. And we stand on a righteousness that's not our own, but we stand in and on his righteousness that gives us a right relationship with God. It's our faith in his redemptive work on the cross that gives us that righteousness. But heaven for us is going to be home. And when Christ returns, we're going home. You're not going home this afternoon. This earth is not your home. It's a temporary residence because you have a heavenly home prepared for those who are righteous. And so we need to wait with expectation. We need to also notice live a certain way. So then verse 14 says, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort. How should we live? What way should we live? To be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. There's a certain way we ought to live in anticipation, expectation of the return of Christ. We should live spotless and blameless and at peace with God, making sure that there's no enmity, no strife, no sin, no distance between us and God because sin distance us it separates us from him and notice the watch in verse 15 bear in mind that our lord's patience means salvation just as our dear brother paul also wrote you with the wisdom that god gave him verse 16 he writes the same way in all his letters speaking in them 
of these matters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. We need to watch for those who will pervert the faith and pervert the truth because they're out there, even today. And I remember seeing one time a, a picture of, of Satan one time who he looked pretty much like Lucifer. The only thing different than this picture that I saw that was different than all the other pictures, he had a huge Bible in his hands. And he was smiling, a very mischievous smile. Because if you think the devil doesn't know the word of God, we need to wake up. But he doesn't take the word of God at face value to believe in it. He takes it to distort it and to twist it and to make it what it shouldn't. Notice he has false teachers out there. Notice it calls them ignorant. Or if you're from West Texas, ignorant. They're ignorant. And they're unstable. They distort as they do other scriptures. They not only take my writings, Simon Peter said, but they take the writings of the Apostle Paul and they distort them for they do this, what, for their own destruction. They, they are twisting and distorting scripture in order to justify their own position, and their own standing, and their own lifestyle. Many today are claiming God didn't say that. You can go ahead and live that way. God didn't say you can do that. You can go ahead and do that. God didn't say you can't become that, so you can go ahead and become that. And I think as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, we're going to have more and more and more perversions of the truth. And pretty soon the church is going to be more, there are going to be more distortions in the church than in any other time in history. And we are perverting the gospel and we are perverting the truth. And we're claiming it to be true only to justify our own immorality. And what, what destruction that's going to bring for those who have believed in those lies. Notice he then says, walk firmly in the truth. Verse 17, you need to watch for perversions, but you need to not only watch for perversions, but walk in the truth. How do you, how do you know an authentic bill from a, an, a, a wrong bill or a, a counterfeit? How do you know? How do they teach federal employees to know the real from the fake? No, they study the real. They don't study the, the, the fakes. They study the authentic ones. How many of you have seen the new $100 bill? Somebody said, I wish I had seen one of those. I saw one in the bank the other day, and I, I asked her if I could look at it. <laughs> she watched me very closely as I put it up to the light and all that. Very hard to duplicate that thing. How do you know the authentic from the real? You study the real. How do you know when somebody's perverting the truth? You stand and you study the truth. He says that to us. Therefore, in verse 17, dear friends, since you already know this, the truth, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Stay firm on the truth. You're secure in the truth that you have and you know. Stand with it, stand on it, stand firm in it. Don't compromise, don't renegotiate. No matter what they say or what your culture tries to influence you, no matter how impolitically correct they say you are, stand for the truth. And there's something we need to work at here. 
we need to work at growing in our faith. Notice he said, verse 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Never stop growing spiritually. I don't care how long you've been in the faith and how many life groups you've attended and how many Bible studies you've had. You're not mature yet. You're not fully grown yet. There's still inconsistencies in your life. There's still inadequacies in your life. There's still information that you have not heard. There's still truths that are in the word that you need to learn because it will equip you, enable you, and empower you to be all that Christ meant for you to be. And we should take every opportunity that that is afforded to us in order to grow not only, notice he says that we should grow not only in grace, but knowledge, and we should grow in faith. Never stop growing. Be dependable in that fact. Continue to grow as long as you have life and breath in this life. And notice he says very lastly to him, be glory both now and forever. Amen. And I saw that and I thought, you know, there's an aspect of worship there that I can't really avoid. That we need to give him glory as long as we have an opportunity to do so in this life. You know, this what we do right here on Sunday morning is only a practice of what we're going to do in heaven. And if you don't like what we're doing here, you're going to have a miserable time in heaven. The only difference between this and heaven, there won't be any preaching. Don't say amen to that. I know you're thinking it. Yeah, I'll be out of a job. But you know what? That won't be a bad thing to be out of. But in the meantime, we need to be real. And if you're not real this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you need to. And once you're an authentic Christ follower, you need to be ready for his return. Be ready. For at any moment, any time, he could come today. And in the meantime, until he comes, be reliable. Be trustworthy. Let him know that he can count on you. That you're not going to live as a Christ follower for the dot, that you're going to live for the bottom line. You're not going to live for this life as if, as if this is all that there is. You're going to live and invest in eternity because you know that you want to unite with him and join him in what he is presently doing so that you can expedite the return of Christ. And all this life, as we know, will be over. And praise God, we won't have to get up and go to work anymore. We won't ache anymore. These bodies will not age anymore. You'll never be hungry anymore. You'll never have to mow another blade of grass anymore. Praise God. A gentleman visiting a certain school gave out that he would give a prize to the pupil whose desk he found in the best order when he returned. You see, this school was a a junior high school, and they were trying to have a neatness drive. And uh, they had been out the school and picked up all kinds of trash, and they picked up all kinds of stuff and debris in the school, and they had cleaned up, and they had painted up and all that. But the problem they had that the students had not caught that yet, and so many, if not most of them, had really sort of fig pen-like deaths. And they wanted to instill in the children a value of having clean deaths during the day. And so the assistant principal went and visited all the certain classes, and he told them that, that, that probably 
sometime in the near future, not probably, but in the near future, he would visit each of the classes, and the one that had the cleanest desk would get this incredible prize. I mean, it would be a surprise and a prize that they would be glad to possess. He wasn't going to tell them what it was. But if he came in one day and he found their desk, the cleanest in the class that day, they would get a prize. And at the conclusion of that announcement on the loudspeaker, one of the little girls in the class said, I'm going to get that prize. Well, somebody in the class decided that they would then address this little girl because she believed that she was the cleanest. And she turned to the little girl and said, well, I don't believe that you have what it takes in order to get the prize to win the surprise. She said, well, I certainly do, and I certainly will. She said, well, what if he comes in the afternoon? She said, well, I'll have my desk clean every day in the afternoon. She said, well, what if he comes in the morning? Well, I'll have my desk clean then every morning. I'll clean my desk every morning. She said, well, what if he comes one of these days this, this week or next week or the week after that, right after lunch, then what will you do? And the little girl was silent for a minute, and she said, I know what I'll do. I'll just keep my desk clean all the time. To keep my desk clean all the time. You know, we don't know when Christ is going to return. We need to keep our lives ready and clean all the time. Because we never know when that moment, when that time, when that day will take place. So, he promised to return. And he promised that there would be a prize, a surprise for those of us who are ready and waiting for that return. Are you ready? Well, wait a minute. You know, you know, Pastor, I've been hearing guys talk about that for a long time. I don't believe it anymore. You know what? I'm sorry for you. Because it may be morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and maybe soon. How does the rest of that go? Come on, how does the rest of it go? I'm not going to sing another song today like I did the last two Sundays. I've already tried it twice, we're out. But the question is, and remains, are you ready? Are you reliable? Because your faith is real. And this morning as we close, do you have a real faith? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ? Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? If not, in a moment we're going to stand and sing an invitation to him. Our pastor will be here. We'd love to pray with you like that young man did three Sundays ago because you never know when Christ is going to call you home or when Christ is going to return. You need to be ready. And the only and the first step to be ready is to be real. Once you're real, you need to be ready. Don't live your life as if you've got a lot of time left because you don't. You never know when he's going to return. So in the meantime, those of us who know him, let's live reliably to the things that he's admonished us to do today. Let's pray.